why they might experience their intuition as something that would make them vulnerable or awkward. Because it's usually out of left field, it's an idea, but if it's reasonable, like it's a blue sky outside, but your intuition, suddenly you feel like you should bring a jacket. Is that really going to hurt if you bring a jacket? Welcome back to the Own Your Awkward podcast. I'm your host, Andy Vargo, and every episode we get into what has made our guests vulnerable and how they've learned how to own their awkward in order to live their best life. Stay tuned so you can hear every awkward moment in today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Own Your Awkward podcast. I am just super blessed today to have one of my newest friends joining me, Fran Gallagher. Fran, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Well, I'm feeling really awkward, and I think that's just perfect for your podcast, Andy. And I'm delighted to be here, and I love that you called me one of your new friends because I have enjoyed getting to know you so far, and I'd love to get to know you further. I agree. The feeling is mutual. You know, sometimes I feel like we meet people and you just, you have the connection or you don't. And when you do, it just feels so good. So it does. <laughs> and I know we're just getting started on the podcast, but it just to reiterate that feeling, it's like, we got on, it's like, oh, we have to talk for 20 minutes before we can even get into the podcast because there's so much to share and connect on. So, yes. So this is going to be a pleasure. Um, Fran, I heard somebody do something the other day and I loved this on a podcast and I'm, and I'm going to, put you on the spot and make you be the first one I'm doing it with. But um, instead of going through the rundown and be like, oh my God, this is all the things that Fran does. I'd love to hear you just say in a nutshell, who are you? What do you do? Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm Fran Gallagher and I have wrestled with what to call myself. And recently I decided executive leadership coach. And I use my extraordinary access to intuition to bring through life-changing information for my clients. I once met a CEO and within literal moments of meeting him, I uncovered a fraud and embezzlement scheme. I told him how to find it and he successfully found it and stopped it. So what I do is super powerful and I'm learning how to get the message across. Right. I, I love that you point out that like you're learning what to call yourself because we have this thing in our heart that's like, this is what I do, but how do I word that in a way that people understand it and see the value? Yeah, my my little nickname that I've chosen uh, with the help of one of your guests, Ruben Swartz of Mimiran fame, is yes. to call myself Guru of Woo. Oh, I love that. Guru of Woo. You know, that's just enough to make you question like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love it that. It means I'm weird and it's pretty awkward, Andy. <laughs> that's fair. I love it. And speaking of awkward, in just a couple minutes, we're going to put you on the spot because I cannot wait to dig into your awkward. It's going to be a great conversation. And just for you guys listening, I have no idea what it is, but um, that always makes it more fun for me to have these conversations because it makes it so genuine and real in the moment. Uh, but before we do that, um, I, you know, we I ask this a lot on my shows and I'm mixing it up a little bit, but we we just see so much negative out there. I, I just love to hear what my guests see as something really positive going on right now. So one of the things I use with individuals and groups is a form of meditation called guided visualization. And it's a way that I tell an adult bedtime story, so to speak, to take people into a meditative state. And it's the easiest way for beginners to experience meditation. Mm. Well, when I started, I had usually at least one person in an audience or the occasional one person in a one-on-one who just could not go there. This doesn't happen anymore. I have people who are ready, eager, they know there's something more to life, Mm -hmm. and they can't wait to find out what it is. Oh, I love that. So it's like the world is becoming more open to, to receiving the positive and receiving all the blessings that are out there. Oh, that's, I I couldn't have said it better, Andy. That's what I heard you say between the words, I guess, (laughs) 
I love that. You know, it's interesting. I first heard about like manifesting and visualization from a podcast guest on one of my early episodes. And they're like, yeah, I really believe in the power of manifesting. And I was taught by Bob Proctor and, and she's going on and I'm just like, what is this? Like, I, I want to know more. And she, so afterwards she sent me some, she's like, start with these videos and, and learn. And, and I remember I kind of got it, got into like listening, but I really didn't get it at first. And a few years ago, I really started to understand it more and dove into it. And I had been picturing buying a brick building with my business offices on the bottom floor and living above it and uh, had been talking to people about this for about a year. And then the house that I was renting a an apartment in the back of, the landlord sold kind of quickly a cu couple years ago. And I was like, oh, it was this panic of like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to find a place? I was still kind of recovering from divorce stuff. And when I moved into, uh, when I found a place, I was showing the place to my friend the same picture and it was a studio in a brick building right above a salon that's a business and like I had three or four friends go that's like a mini version of exactly what you've been talking about and I'm like wow that really like it really made you go gosh that really does work and so you've got to just take these steps but not to go into my story and take it away from it but when you just that just triggered that when you said that I was like yeah it really does happens. So I love that you're doing these adult bedtime stories. That just sounds like such a fun way to open people up to the idea. Yeah. You know, um, the first Tuesday of the month, I have a masterclass at 12 noon mountain. You can find it on my website and it is an experience of guided visualization. We'll also be talking about intuition and I'm going to have some guests now and then. So maybe Andy, you need to find whatever you know about intuition and join me and we can chat. I would love that. That sounds fun. And I have definitely learned a lot the last couple of years because, you know, you can call it trusting your gut or intuition or whatever, but I, I love that story of you meeting the CEO and just saying, hey, there's something here that's off. And you don't even have to have the evidence, but you know there's evidence there. Yeah, it was interesting. I was able to say, check the cell phone records of one of your senior leaders, and you will find what I'm talking about. Wow. That's amazing. I know. It's it that's what how do I convey this though, Andy, that there's a world of information out there mm -hmm. for others as long as either they use their intuition or they hire me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that. And I love the word woo because woo just kind of explains that stuff that we can't always explain. It's like, you know what, it's there and it's it's amazing and it makes you kind of go, Wow, how did that happen? But we don't always have a an explanation. I'm I'm just I'm in awe right now. So I'm I'm like stunned. But let's hear about your awkward. What is your awkward thing, Fran, that you have just had to own? Andy, there's so many awkward things. So let me start by saying that I grew up in a family where there was abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't allowed to talk with my mother. I wasn't allowed to ask her questions. So you know, if you've ever raised a child or been around a child, they are a font of questions. Right. And how you make that stop, I do not know, but my mother did that to me. Mm. And so she put me and my next youngest brother, and we're two of seven, but she put us in a playroom for most of the day. She brought us out and fed us and put us back in the playroom. Wow. So we had no adult or little adult interaction until dinner, which I'll get to in a moment. So there was a knight in armor who stood outside my bedroom who was non-physical. And I knew no one else could see this knight in armor. But the day that I figured out that no one else could see that, I do not remember. Mm -hmm. But I, my mother tried to teach me how to make my bed, and it wasn't that I had any trouble learning how to make my bed. It was that I had to run as fast as I could past the knight in armor, make my bed, and then run back out as fast as so I This could. was a scary night. This was not a... Uh... Well, he was, he was, there was no, you know, he had his helmet on and his visor, and I 
couldn't see anything inside the armor, you know? Right. Um, Later, many, 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 many years, my guides showed me that I had always been assigned a protector and he was one of them. Wow. So there were also faces in the wallpaper that spoke to me and I saw into worlds. I saw into this boy's life. I didn't know. Uh, One day my dad asked me, well, back to my dad, my dad conducted dinner conversation and I'm a speaker and my dad was the only kid he would not allow to make any mistakes in their speech was me. Wow. I wasn't allowed to say, um, or, you know, I wasn't allowed to add filler words or ramble. And so uh, one time I spoke before a group and this woman came up to me afterward and she just had the stars in her eyes. And she said, I thought she was going to resonate with my message. Right. Uh And she said, I watched the clock and for 30 minutes, you never said, um, which wow. is a really great compliment, um, but I wanted my message to come across. <laughs> right. Like, I'm glad that you caught my grammar. However, did you hear what I said? <laughs> so uh, my dad conducted dinner conversation, as I said, and we were all expected to say what happened in our room that day. It was kind of a joke that my dad had because my older siblings went to school. But when he turned to me, I would talk about these universes that I could see into and this boy's life that I could see into. And now what I make up is that this boy lived in a brick tenement in a city in the Northeast, and it might have been Baltimore. But of course, if you're inside the head of a young boy, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the information. Right. It's like a bad screenplay, right? He's not giving if you the address says, in the setting. <laughs> what was that? He's not giving you the address in the setting. You're just seeing right. through his eyes. Right? Yeah. So my dad asked me what his name was. Well, how would I know his name if I'm in his head? And uh, so I named one of my dad's friends whose name was Johnny Carey. And so I called him Johnny Carey. Well, my dad thought this was hilarious. And every day he wanted to hear what happened in Johnny Carey's life. Well, one day Johnny Carey got hit by a car and he ended up with his arm in a cast. I remember seeing that, but then I never saw into his life again. So I don't know what happened to Johnny Carey, uh, but in any case, uh, I was this peculiar child. I did not speak unless spoken to because that's how I was raised. And I did not speak in school, Andy, and I am not making this up. I did not speak until the middle of third grade. Wow. Because if I opened my mouth, no sound would come out. And I went to a Catholic school and the nuns didn't even bother calling on me. I just sat quietly in the room. And one day, Robert Eisenman, Robert, if you're out there, he sent me a love note. And it was my given name, which I'm not going to share here. And so it said, I love you. And then my given name, because my dad had introduced me with my full name. And so I, for the first time, you had to stand up. You had to raise your hand, then stand up next to my desk and say, I would like to be called Fran. Mm. And that was the first time I spoke in school. Wow. And it took quite a while. And the, the So the first awkward was that I didn't speak. And then obviously, once I started speaking, you can't make you me never stop. <laughs> you, well, before I know there's more, but before you go too far past that, first of all, that had to be so powerful in the whole classroom. Like when, when people speak less and not at all, then when words do come out, I feel like it's so much more powerful. It's like people listen. And do you remember what that felt like for you, like to stand up and stand next to your desk and find the the actual sounds? 
It took all the courage in my little being to do that. And I don't recall paying any attention to the other, to anyone's reaction. Mm -hmm. I wish that's a really good point because I've also written a screenplay and I am rewriting it right now. That's a lie because I haven't had time for a few weeks, but boy, this Sunday, I'm going to work on my screenplay. And I just went on a trip and I listened to this really cool in-depth assessment of a screenplay that I studied to write my screenplay, which is called Little Miss Sunshine. Mm -hmm. I adore that movie. And, uh, These commenters were saying, if you're familiar with the movie, Wayne vows to not speak until he reaches a certain goal. Mm -hmm. And so they say that these these commenters are saying, then it's going to be a big deal when he does speak. So echoing what your thoughts are. Fair. I can't imagine... um like just as you were saying someone else is vowing to not speak and even just picturing you in school as a child and I remember school how many times there was an expectation of something to be said or read or shared and I and even and I'm thinking about going through my day and how many times I interact with people vocally and I think I don't even know how to do that <laughs> but I also don't shut up very well so Well, and then to contradict myself, I did speak a little on the playground. (laughs) And here, strangely, I memorized the song, Tell Laura I Love Her. Mm -hmm. And so kids would come to me on the playground to sing that song as entertainment. Oh, And then the other awkward was that I grew up in a Catholic parish. Mm-hmm. And most of the people who lived in this neighborhood were Catholic and they had fled the city and were out in the suburbs. And I, this is morbid, but I kept count of the suicides mm. and I stopped counting. I would, I would count and go over who it was when I was falling asleep at night. Oh wow! And it amounted to 26 or 27. And all of them were women, except for one boy who my, he was young too, which is unusual back then. Um, my sister one time said she thought she knew why he took his own life. But then she forgot by the time I asked her, because mm. she wouldn't tell me before. But I think probably, and who knows, but I think probably he was feeling like he was gay. Mm. And that was not allowed in a Catholic sure. parish yeah. uh, back then. So in any case, um, one of my awkwards was that I always wanted to say what I thought was the truth. And I had no idea how to be diplomatic. So one of the girls whose mother had taken her own life along with the youngest children. Oh, goodness. uh, On the playground, I went up to her and I was probably seven or eight years old. Yeah, I was just wondering, was this something you were doing as a younger child or as a middle school, high school. So you were still pretty. Oh, goodness. I, I was young enough to not know better. Right. And they had said that her mother simply had died. Mm-hmm. And I went up to her and said, well, didn't your mother commit suicide? And she burst into tears and she went to the principal and I got called into the principal's office. And remember, in the in, within school, I didn't speak. Yeah. So I got yelled at for saying what I had said. And so the first awkward was that I couldn't speak at all. The second awkward was that if I spoke, I said the wrong thing. Right. It's almost like you were taught that speaking got you in trouble. Like speaking was not the route to positive reinforcement. There you go. That's a really good point. On the other hand, again, another contradiction was that my mother would want me to speak sometimes to show off to people because I was smart and it made her look good. So it it was either it was these extremes. Yeah. So the next awkward 
was that as if those weren't enough. The <laughs> next off word was physical. So I was raised, we did not have enough food. And this is middle-class America, but my sister's theory is that my mother learned how to cook for four people and she never changed it. Oh. And when she ended up with seven children, I just remember being hungry all the time. Wow. But I didn't know I was hungry because it was such a constant. Mm -hmm. And I watched the movie Breaking Dog, Dawn, Breaking Dawn by Werner Herzog. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic film. Yeah, yeah. It's about an American pilot named Dieter Dengler. And Werner Herzog was so fascinated with Dieter Dengler that he did a documentary about him and then he he felt it wasn't enough so he did a feature film wow and in Breaking Dawn this group of characters are in what could be loosely called a Vietnamese a North Vietnamese um prisoner of war camp Okay. All it is is a thrown together fence and huts and guards and guns yeah. and not much food. And so these characters are sitting there every day and they have a fantasy refrigerator and mm -hmm. they each get to take turns stocking the refrigerator with the food and drinks they would like to have when they get out because they're starving to death. Yeah. And the actors, Christian Bale... And I forgot the other one who's a famous and amazing actor. And then uh, Steve something. And then uh, Werner Herzog. They all lost 30 pounds or more to play this role. Wow. So they literally appreciated. Yeah. themselves, yeah. And I was just dumbfounded because what we would do and as kids, if we slept out on this sun porch, one person, we'd all be awake because we were hungry. Mm -hmm. And one person would say, you know what would be really good right now? A hamburger. And somebody else would say, with French fries. And somebody <laughs> else would say, and chocolate cake. <laughs> and so we would have our imaginary dinners. Well, out in the world, people would eat casually, like a kid would come out of their house eating an oatmeal cookie. Mm -hmm. And I would be absolutely fixated on that cookie and yeah. the idea of being casual about food that's all i wanted and i would stuff food in my pants and eat on the side of the house and just i'd steal a popcorn tart and just shove it in my mouth it was terrible and so the but the problem that i didn't understand until i was older is that if you are malnourished and you eat rich food, you will become very ill. So to me, the best and worst thing that could happen to me is being invited to a birthday party. Oh. If I was invited to a birthday party, it meant I was at least slightly popular, but I would go home sick as a dog and I'd be terribly embarrassed. Wow. Because I would have, I would just be doubled over because I couldn't eat that. And yeah. uh, once in a while, my mom would make lasagna. Well, it took me years to not look at lasagna and feel sick. Because if I ate lasagna, it's too rich. I would get sick. Wow. Yeah. And the list goes on. So I just grew. And then my mother, my mother was very, um, I believe she was depressed. I believe she was mentally ill. And we could go on and on about this part, Andy. But the short version is that she did what I think is a version of um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, mm. not where she gave me anything to make me sick. But I would come home from school and she would say, today, we are going to find out what's wrong with you. Mm. And she would take me to various doctors. And I remember one doctor sat me down in his office by myself. My mother wasn't in the office. No one would do these things now. Right. Yeah. And um, he said, some people are racehorses and some people are workhorses. You are a racehorse. So you need to take thyroid medication. Mm. 
So he gave me a prescription yeah. for thyroid medication. My mother filled it and I read everything I could get my hands on. Oh, that's and good. so I read that if you take thyroid medication when you don't need it, you will shut your own thyroid down oh, wow. and you will have to take thyroid medication for the rest of your life. So I flushed it down the toilet. Don't do that, you guys. It goes into the water supply and your entire community will now be on thyroid medication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I as, didn't know. As a kid and at that time, you wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't have maybe known that. But And my mother never followed up. She never asked me if I was taking it. Uh, and then, uh, another awkward was I went starting around age eight, I would go to my mother if I had a headache or I had growing pains cause I was growing tall pretty quickly. Um, and my mother said, go in your, my jewelry drawer and get a little blue pill. So in her jewelry drawer scattered among the velvet compartments uh, were these little blue pills. So I took a little blue pill and I don't remember much other than I didn't like how it made me feel. Yeah. And by the time was I was about 13, um, I had quickly stopped asking her if I had a headache or had anything wrong with me. Uh, but I went to the library more and more to find refuge. Mm -hmm. And I discovered a book called The Physician's Desk Reference, the PDR. Oh. And in it, you could look up a picture of a pill and find out what it was. Wow. Well, the pill was Valium. Oh, my goodness. And I realized that you don't give eight-year-olds Valium. Right. So uh, it, it goes on from there, Andy. But well, I had a really mixed up... Uh, can I say the F word? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> a fucked up childhood. Yeah. I mean, if that applies, that applies. And it definitely, and the things that you just shared, I mean, it's amazing to see where you're at today and what you're doing, but to hear what you were going through and the ownership you were taking as such a small child on researching and reading. I mean, you're talking about these things as if you were in your early adulthood, you know, Googling <laughs> symptoms and how they're going to affect you. And yet you're a child. And and this is before a time where you even had access to the internet and you're having to get a hold of the book. And and I don't know about you, but when I was younger, librarians wouldn't necessarily let a child have free reign of sections of the library. So if they felt like it wasn't appropriate, you might not even be able to get to the book. Oh, that's a good point. I guess I was invisible because I didn't talk very much. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, and I was smart. And I don't know if maybe if somebody noticed I was looking at the PDR, they blessed it. You know how many 13-year-olds are looking at the PDR? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing I'm really curious about, and uh, just take it another direction if you don't want to go there. But as a child, at what point do you think you realized that maybe your mom didn't have your best interest at heart or that it was like you had to be your own advocate? Was there a point where you said this, I now know that I can't rely on her for my- Yes, yes. Uh, I think when I figured out what Valium was, okay, and I think that the movie Dancing As Fast As I Can came out. Mm -hmm. uh, and Valley of the Dolls, they were addicted to Valium. I don't know if I had a slight sense that my mother must have had an addiction, but it was slight. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here's the other problem. Because I was so intuitive, I grew up thinking I was stupid mm -hmm. because I didn't think like other people thought. And I have a vague memory of knowing the answer to uh, division problems, long division problems on the blackboard. And I was in a Catholic school and the nuns said you had to show your work. So yeah. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if I knew the answers, mm -hmm. but since I couldn't show my work, they thought I was cheating and looking at the other kids' papers. Right. I, I just... I think that what you just said was so important. I want you to say it again. You thought you were stupid because 
Why? I didn't think the way other people thought. I didn't perceive things the way other people perceived. And I did have a family member who constantly told me I was stupid, I believe, because uh, let's fast forward for a moment. Um, quite a few years ago, I went to a wedding in my hometown mm -hmm. and this family member, and I, I don't want to throw him under the bus. I kind of do, but anyway, <laughs> um, I hadn't seen him in five years. And he didn't say hello when he saw me. He spotted me across a church at the wedding. And the church was an old retrofitted for air conditioning church. So it was hot and blasting cold. And I had brought a scarf and I was wearing it around my shoulders. I was wearing a sleeveless dress. And he comes walking across the church and he comes up to me and he says, were you cold during the service? Now this man is a CPA. He is uh, a grown up. He is a paragon in his community in certain ways. And this anyway, is his greeting. This is the first thing he says. <laughs> pardon me? This is the first thing he says to you. That's his greeting. Is, were, you is, were you cold during the service? And I said, yeah, the air conditioning was blowing on me. And he said, he pointed his finger at me and he said, then you're stupid. Wow. As and, an adult. <laughs> pardon me? As a grown adult, he's talking to you like that. So I burst out laughing. So we go to the Good reception. For you. <laughs> we go to the reception and he walks up to me and this time there's a little bit of fear in his eyes. And he says, you're stupid. And I burst out laughing again. The third time he literally had panic in his eyes. And I realized, my God, he's done this to me my whole life. Right. And I now he has no power over me and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So fast forward, let's say three or four years, another wedding, he asks me another strange question without greeting me. And when I answer it, he says, then you're stupid. And I looked at him and I said, you know where I live now? No one talks to anyone that way. They only say positive things. I love that. <laughs> and he went and sat down and stared into space for about 30 minutes. Wow. Then he came back and he said to me, I ought to buy you a drink. And I said, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> he never <laughs> bought me the drink. <laughs> right. At least he knows that he owes you probably way more than one. But oh, my so, God. I hope that I hope that no one from my family hears this podcast and <laughs> recognizes who that is. But uh, I I think that my intuition made me think differently in ways that it took me years to accept. Right. And in the middle of all this, when I was an adult, I I wrote a short story and I shared it with a friend because I was writing through these years and journaling before I knew the word journaling. Sure. And, uh, and also I got therapy as soon as I learned that such a thing existed. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I wrote this short story and I shared it with a friend and it bothered me because she didn't ask my permission, but she shared it with her husband and her husband called me up and he said, would you like to rewrite the Florida Department of Transportation Highway Improvement Manual. Hmm. And I said, why, yes. <laughs> of course. So that's how I became a technical writer. Wow. Okay. And I, I wrote software and hardware users guides in a step-by-step -step manner. And backing up, when I was a kid, because of my mother's cruelty, and, and this is only the beginning, what I shared with you and your listeners, sure. uh, I decided that if I could just not have feelings and only be logical, that I would be able to manage life. You'd be safe. Yes. So by the time I was um, in my 20s, I was bereft. 
I, I had no inner resources because ignoring my feelings wasn't working. Right. And uh, I had already been through three and a half years of therapy, two times a week, that I completely structured my life around. I became a, a restaurant server because I thought that no one would know I was going to a therapist. You're not having to leave a day job to go to an appointment or yes. anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and by this All time... The logic. <laughs> And by this time, I had a child, and I was convinced that if anyone knew what a messed up person I was, they would take my child away. And yeah. seeing a therapist back then would have been testimony that right. I was messed up. Yeah, because there used to be so much of a stigma. And I think, depending on who you talk to, sometimes people still don't aren't as accepting as they are, but it's way better now. Like, I openly talk all the time about like, oh, two weeks till therapy, it's right on schedule. <laughs> it's like, I, I I look at it as um, like, it's keeping my mental health on retainer. Like I don't always, sometimes I go to the appointment. It's like, I don't know what to talk about today, but it's keeping that communication and relationship open for the days where it's like, I don't know where to start today because there's so much. <laughs> right, right. And then we have someone to bounce our ideas uh, against because in my childhood, there were, I, I had no options about talking to anyone. Yeah. I, I was completely yeah. siloed. Mm -hmm. So um, it took those three and a half years to realize that what was going on in my family was abuse yeah. and neglect. And then uh, I started venturing into the spiritual Luckily, I had had a mentor since the age of 13, mm -hmm. Mary Gall, and she she taught me many things. Um, I had this long hair that I didn't know what to do with. I had braces and thick glasses. And she said to me one day, Darling, once you have taken a second lover, you need to learn to call all of them darling. <laughs> so I was like something I, out of a 1920s movie. I just love that. So I was nowhere near taking a first lover. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and she her house smelled of oil paint. And she moved like a dancer. And this, she was in suburb, the suburban Midwest, like this jewel. Uh, but she taught me certain things about metaphysics and spirituality that I tried my best to ignore. You know, I it wasn't, it, it didn't go along with my plan to be logical, right? right. So, uh, but when in my mid-20s, I found there was a branch of the metaphysical school she was involved in here in Denver, where I live now. And I started opening the door to metaphysics, intuition, past lives, spirituality. Right. And that made me whole. Mm -hmm. So what I have... And with a lot more therapy and spiritual teachers and lots and lots of money out the door, let me tell you. <laughs> right. um, so what I have done, pardon me? It's an investment in time and money, <laughs> for sure. So I was doing a, um, a group who I was teaching spiritual concepts to. And the group lasted for about a year and a half. And one of the young men came back to me a year later and said, my dad and I have created an institute. I didn't know you could do that. And mm -hmm. uh, he said, we have created something called the program and in intuition. And would you be a faculty member for it? So it was a program designed, it was a high-end program designed to teach physicians and business leaders intuition. And I also taught meditation as part of it. And it began to show me that I could teach th these concepts in a step-by-step -step way, hmm. just as I had, like when I wrote, I one time wrote directions for a demo, mm -hmm. a software demo, 
And the head of marketing came to me and said, I just got off the phone with a woman who was crying because she was so grateful that she could understand the directions. Wow. And I wrote clear directions. You guys, the stuff you can't understand, I did not write that. <laughs> so well, um, what I love about this this idea though is I've never I've, I hear about people being intuitive and you always hear it as a trait that either you have or you don't have or you oh goodness no think of but to hear that you can actually teach someone to hone in on it and and develop it that's that's eye-opening to me oh good well you I you should take my program <laughs> it starts October 31st it's called shine the intuition program for unconventional leaders and Andy, I'm sorry, honey, but you match that d- description as <laughs> unconventional well, leader. Well, thank you. I've I to me that's a compliment. I I love being. I, I mean, the whole awkward thing. It's like I love being a step outside of the 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 regular route of. Things. Oh, I know you do. Yeah. And that's. Um, I guess that was kind of my next question. So this is a perfect time. Is that you've had this life? You've had all these awkward things. You've had all this stuff, and that's one of my big things with owning your awkward is that when you really own it, it's not just getting over it, but it's you take it and you make it. Now it's your superpower. So what are you doing with it? You have, you're doing this teaching, like how is this now taking you, like helping you live your life and run your business and all this stuff? Well, just to finish about the program and intuition, it came from the Kaiser Institute. And this is not the famous Kaisers, but they never mind being mistaken for them. Okay. And the late Leland Kaiser was the head of it. And he called himself a healthcare futurist. Mm. So he consulted to the VA, to hospital systems, because they needed to know, should they be building inpatient facilities, outpatient facilities? What should they be doing? Because we're talking about a 25-year uh, ROI, right? Oh, yeah. So um, I taught the head of the VA, the head of Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, the oh. interim head of the Centers for Disease Control, on and on and on. And I did that for, again, time is not my forte. So either eight or nine years. And uh, people joined my business. They chose me as a coach because I was the only one who was woo-woo and could behave themselves in the corporate world. (laughs) Right. So uh, all that was great until the 2008-2009 recession. Mm -hmm. And those companies closed their doors to outsourcing. So I've been trying to figure out how to present myself and be a better business person and make all this work since then. Sure. And uh, the way I use my intuition is that when I work one on one with a client, we establish rapport very, very quickly. And I joke that I have x-ray vision because I can see into your life or whoever's life and I can see what might need attention. I also joke that I call myself a coach, but coaches are supposed to ask questions and let their clients answer them. And I'm a bad coach because I answer some of those questions myself. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I could just see a tagline of the worst coach you'll ever be glad you hired. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Ruben would approve of that. So. Uh, The program starts October 31st, as I said, Mm -hmm. and you will learn that your aha moments are your intuition. Those sudden insights that are full blown, like, oh, I forgot my cell phone as you drive away from the house. That's your intuition. Intuition is one way the brain works. But our education has emphasized logic. And so if you do not develop your intuition, you're only half smart, dude. (laughs) Well, I love that cell phone example because I know there's so many times where, and I've done this, where I I walk into a room and realize my fly is undone and I don't know why. Also, it's like, I don't remember zipping. Like, (laughs) I get ready, I I do my belt and I go out for the day and it's like, I feel like there was another step and I don't know why (laughs) in that moment it makes me think, did I do that? But yeah, I can't explain where the thought came from because it wasn't like it was extra cold outside or anything. Like there wasn't a feeling. It was just something intuitive. 
And, and, and Andy, oh. honey, that was a little too much information. For I, the I'm good at TMI. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And that's, that's the, I call the uh, own your awkward, the accidental brilliance of my brand that if I ever fumble or do something, it's like, well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's, I love it. Like it wasn't uh, like had, it works out. I had a marvelous yoga teacher named Janine Armstrong, and she would always say, there are no interruptions in yoga. And she never pitched a fit because the UPS guy walked in or somebody's dad showed up or whatever. I love that. There are no interruptions in life. They are meaningful and we can handle them with grace. And if you can't handle them with grace, then go home. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's such a good perspective because, yes, you're trying to have this zone meditative moment. But if you are going to overreact because something, you know, quote unquote interrupts, then are you really in a relaxed state? <laughs> and are you actually living the principles of either yoga or meditation or spirituality yeah. or Christianity or whatever the heck you got going on? Right. So you have, so this, this class that you have on starting October 31st, you said it's called Shine? It's called Shine, the program and intuition for unconventional leaders. Now, do I have to fly to Denver to take this class? or is You do not. I'm so glad you asked. It's an online program, and it requires about an hour a week of your time. I'm sorry, two hours a week, okay. a week of your time. So it's going to be an hour class time online with me, and then a half an hour that I ask you to use to meet with your cohort, um, a person a week, so okay. that you guys can practice exercises that I'll give you. Mm -hmm. And then about a half an hour of you doing a few things on your own, like <gasps> meditating. Right. So I'll give you simple, easy meditations. And just so your listeners know, starting with three minutes is fantastic. Uh, one time I had a woman come up to me and say, I want to tell you that I'm not capable of meditating. My brain doesn't work that way. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, how long are you attempting to meditate? She said, one hour. Well, oh. that is absolutely a horrible, cruel thing to do <laughs> to yourself if you don't know how to meditate to well. attempt an hour. Don't yeah. do that. Three minutes, one minute, five minutes, and you can build up. You don't have to be an Olympic meditator. <laughs> right. No, that's that's a perfect example. I had a, a guest on one time. One, It was like my second episode, and he was talking about how, you know, we beat ourselves up when we fail at something, when we don't, when we're not successful the first time. Um, I don't like to use the word fail too much because I just see it as part of the process. But like when we're when we're not making something happen, he says, but that's ridiculous. You're never going to be good the first time. You have to practice. It's like we and his his analogy was, you know, you watch a toddler learning how to walk and you don't look at them and go, oh, my God, you fell down. You're such a failure. You're never going to walk. Never try again. It's like, no, we we see them. And we know. Isn't this adorable? This is part of the process. They made it four steps this time. And next time, maybe they'll make it all the way across the room or eight steps, you know, but. Oh, that's beautiful. I do want to tell your listeners that I use my intuition every day in my not very great coaching that I provide my clients with one-on-one. -on -one. And then I have a free intuition incubator the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month at Noon Mountain Online. Um, and Andy, you're going to be one of my guests. And we're going to, to talk about how awkward you might find practicing your intuition at first. And um, it's a chance to experience intuition in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. And my last offer is Fridays at noon I have a noon mountain time. I have a free online networking mixer that has the theme of intuition. And I'm going to play around with a few simple exercises and put people into breakout rooms to practice with one another. And everybody gets a chance to do their 30 second elevator pitch. Or if it goes a little longer, fine. I love that. Now, um, 
we have links to all this and to, to all of Fran's stuff right here in the description. So you can go back as soon as we finish listening, click on everything really easy. But Fran, what are the best places for people to find you if people are just really good at listening and remembering stuff or they're doing chores in the kitchen and want to jot it down? Where's the best place for people to find you and support you online? Well, my website is reallyflourish.com. And if you are a spelling bee champion, you know that flourish has a U in it. And um, the other thing is I, I'm going to use the word star in quotation marks. I'm a TikTok star. I so love that. <laughs> I'm on TikTok and I'm on YouTube and there will be some new things on YouTube soon. Uh, and I'm on all the social media platforms. Some of them I give more attention to than others, I have to admit. LinkedIn, I'm Fran Gallagher. TikTok, I'm Fran Gallagher. YouTube, I'm Fran Gallagher. Excellent. And to make it easy, click the link in the thing in the description here and give Fran some love, give her some follows because just getting more support out there, even if you can't make it to a thing or, you know, just it always means so much when you can get them, get another follower, like a video, comment. It just really helps. Like sometimes we want to support small businesses and we like, oh my gosh, there's all these people I want to support. Maybe I don't have the dollars to give to all of them, but we can give them our love. And that's oh, perfect. Like, you know, <laughs> I feel your love, Andy. And I just want to say that for me, excavating, uncovering, recognizing and develop my intuition was my path to wholeness. And that's how I teach it because we're going to embrace our emotions. We're going to understand that they are the flags on our experience that tell us whether to go right or left or forward or backward. And we also have a ball with what we do. I love that. And, you know, I love this whole journey that you've shared today because, you know, you started talking about this, this night in armor outside your door and being penned up in the, the room and not talking in school and I, and I'm thinking, I I this is so personal and important that that you're sharing this story, and to think about to go from not speaking, being in this quiet, abusive place in life, and to see what you're doing now. I mean, to me, that's the epitome of owning your awkward and of really shining in the world. And it, it's so important for people to see and hear this stuff because it's too easy to say that's great for them, but I'm not that person or right. struggles or this past. And that's the whole point is that everybody has stuff. Right. And I love, I don't have the, the vision that I had when I was a, a child, mm -hmm. I saw just as clearly as looking at a chair in a room, the night in armor, I yeah. saw into worlds the same way. My vision is not as developed as it was. I've spent most of my life trying to get back to three-year-old me, right? <laughs> right. Well, I still want to know what happened to Johnny Carey. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what happened to Johnny Carey. But maybe another character stepped in and, and you got through what you needed to in that part. You know, that was the end of that book, I guess. But yeah. Can I tell one more story? Yes. Go for it. Uh, one time I had this grandma come to me and she was literally a grandma because she came to me with her grandson. It was an open house event and I gave her a little um, reading. That's what I used to do is intuitive readings. Mm -hmm. I prefer coaching now. And but she came back to me and while I was working with her and she was dressed like a grandma, a denim uh, ankle length skirt with white socks and Birkenstocks, mm -hmm. her hair in a bun, silver rimmed glasses. And one of my guides came in and was tormenting me and teasing me because this particular guy guide appears gay and flamboyant and uh, charmingly obnoxious. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so he's, he's like in my face. And of course, this is a non-physical being, so nobody else can see this. Right. And he says, Tell her to go ahead with the threesome. And I'm like, no. -uh. <laughs> and the I other grandkid. <laughs> I am not going to say that. And by the way, she was here by herself, no grandson. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so the, the guide just won't quit. So it finally dawns on me to say to her, there's a guide here 
who is saying to me, tell her to go ahead with the threesome. And she said, oh, good. They've been asking me for months and they live in another state. So nobody's ever going to know. Thank you. Wow. That's amazing. Such a um, such a good way and kind of a chicken way out of it. But it's true. It's the guy <laughs> saying it. You're like, it's not me. <laughs> and so that way you can kind of step out of that. <laughs> yes yes i love that and and it just goes to show that you can't assume when you look at people and size them up and then all of a sudden you know we think this must be the life that they live or this must be what would be acceptable to say and granted we want to you know be careful around you know what we throw out there but um you know be a little intuitive of what you can get away with but you never know yeah, yeah. And you have to make sure that your intuition isn't covering a little bit of anger or resentment. It, you know, you, sure. uh, it, we have to be really in touch with ourselves, don't we, Andy? We do. And I think that uh, I can see where there's a lot of room for practice and making sure that we're not putting too much of our own emotions or desires into what we're saying is intuition it's like i want it to go this way so am i i would imagine at first there's a little practice so you're not trying to to say well that that's my intuition but really it's maybe just your desire and maybe there's this gut feeling that's actually at odds with where you're trying to go in life sometimes and i started out by being manipulative when i was a kid i would if my dad was asleep I would go and whisper in his ear, buy Fran M&M's. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Well, before we go, uh, you've given us so much good stuff. Just, I, I really appreciate it. And it's been fun and entertaining and I, and so inspiring for everybody. If you had just a simple piece of advice or a challenge you'd give people for this week on how they can own their awkward step into their intuition, what would that, what would that be? Well, I'd have them first look at why they might experience their intuition as something that would make them vulnerable or awkward, because it's usually out of left field. It's an idea. But if it's reasonable, like it's a blue sky outside, but your intuition, suddenly you feel like you should bring a jacket. Is that really going to hurt if you bring a jacket? Yeah. Bring the jacket. Uh, grab the umbrella, make an extra lunch because it occurs to you that you might find somebody who doesn't have a lunch and start experimenting in whatever feels safe and comfortable to you. Mm -hmm. But understand that the intuition is the aha moment. It comes in full blown. It is not linear and sequential as logic is. Mm. It is the sudden insight. And let it be pure. Uh, one of the things I teach in my program is that doubt is a hobby. If you want to spend your time doubting, it's a very wonderful separate hobby. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with that initial aha moment that you right. had. Leave those aha moments alone and don't pick at them. Yeah. And I love that you call out the, the ability to find things where your intuition kicks in that aren't going to hurt anything if you do them. And if you don't do them, you might miss the benefit. Right. So, you know, you could say, well, there's no, no loss really if you don't do it, but you don't really know what that loss is. And then start looking for your intuition in your mistakes. So you might mistakenly uh, dress for a warmer uh, day and it turns out to be a warm day. Uh, oh, gotcha. Look, look at, the mistakes yeah. that seem like you have gotten a little dreamy. We're not talking about a mistake based on the fact that ever since July, you've been wearing uh, clothes for warm weather. And so you continue to do that. Right. That may indeed be a true mistake. But let's say you're you're wondering what to wear. And there's this dreamy moment and you say, I don't know why I did it, but I grabbed a jacket. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be better. Look for those little moments. You know, we talked about, we talk about um, Mr. Magoo and his, uh, he's not very 
alert or whatever. Mr. Magoo is probably highly intuitive. Mm, yeah, life just works out for Mr. Magoo. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it looks like it's on accident. <laughs> yes. I love that. That's such a good characterization. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so be a little dreamy sometimes, even a teensy weensy bit. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, thank you, Fran, the guru of woo, the worst coach you'll be glad you hired, whatever <laughs> we're going with. I love it. Uh, people, be sure you get get in there, sign up for Shine, join the weekly lives, the, the different classes that you're doing, because I think that we'll all be happy when we can embrace our intuitive side just, just a little bit more and, and lean into it. You'll be twice as smart, let me tell you. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Fran. Everybody else, go out there, look up Fran, follow her, give her the love online. And of course, as always, own your awkward. Thank you, Mr. Awkward. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in for today's show. Be sure to visit awkwardcareer.com to continue your journey. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends so they can find their awkward side and learn how to own it.